you are Locked On the NBA, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. And welcome. You are Locked On to the NBA. I'm Nick Angstead. I'm the host of the Locked On Mavericks podcast, and I am joined on the phone by Sam Amick. Sam, free agency's coming. How are you feeling? Nick, I'm hanging in. I got I to gotta muster up the energy for you today. I, we were just talking offline a little bit. It, it feels like free agency is already unofficially begun. You know what I mean? Like today was a very free agency type of day for me. I, I have an office at my house and was in there all day long, you know, staring through the window, working the phone, talking to people and putting the latest uh, kind of free agency glance together. But uh, a lot of action already. So I think it's only going to get hotter as we go along here. Yeah, so on the podcast today, obviously we were going to talk about the you know, the free agency is, is right on our doorstep. It's right there. There's a lot of rumors just flying around. Uh, by the time you listen to this, some of it might be <laughs> might be already old news, but we're going to get into the stuff you know, that is still being speculated right now. Obviously, we will talk about Sam's great uh, piece on the Rockets. Their whole situation is fascinating, and he had some great quotes from P.J. Tucker that you may have seen already, so I'm going to get into that with him. And then we will talk about... Uh, the New York Daily News situation where they were not allowed to go to R.J. Barrett's press conference. Uh, Sam has an interesting take on that, an interesting point of view, so he will share that and what you know why that is a big deal and why that was you know why they can't just kick <laughs> kick like a news uh, station like that out of their press conferences. And it's it's uh, it gets a little bit more deep than just they didn't like the coverage. So we will we'll talk about that. But first, Sam, sometimes they're in free agency, it seems like there is a big domino that needs to fall. Sometimes it's LeBron choosing his team. Sometimes it's something smaller, like LaMarcus Aldridge choosing a team. Do you think that there's a big domino, whether that's Kawhi or Durant? Do you think that there's something that needs to fall first before a lot of these other pieces start to decide where they're going? Nick, you know, you're right. That is normally how it goes. I feel like this one has kind of dual tracks, and the two guys you just mentioned uh, would, would be the guys at the – the front of those trains, so to speak, would be Kawhi and Kevin. And and certainly Kevin's injury in the finals changes everything in terms of his, you know, kind of the calculus with his situation, right? And the idea that he's out next year with the Achilles tendon tear. But but because he is who he is, you know, the guy who reminded us uh, during the playoff run that he is Kevin Durant, we know his name. He's so good that max deals are still coming his way. It doesn't necessarily change the landscape in terms of what is available to him. The, the Kawhi thing, excuse me, the Kawhi thing uh, for me is definitely got a ripple effect because for one, first and foremost, where is he at with Toronto? Certainly still indications that that's, you know, a very plausible scenario for him to return. But if he doesn't come back and if he goes to the Clippers, and uh, I, you know, I've got some reporting on this that, that'll be on our site on the athletic on Thursday is, you know, there's just, more scenarios kind of surfacing about who we might go to the Clippers with. Now they would have to move to Nilo Gallinari to, to kind of open up that second max slot. But if he is leaning toward the Toronto side, then that's a way for the Clippers to, to kind of lure him back their way. And then it just becomes, who's that going to be? I, I don't expect it to be Durant. You know, I think right now on the Kevin side of things, certainly a chance that he stays with the Warriors. Uh, Knicks and Nets seem to be top of mind with the Clippers, you know, farther back in the race. But but there's a domino with him. You know, Kyrie, by most accounts, Kyrie Irving is, is expected to go to Brooklyn, but it's also Kyrie Irving. So that <laughs> could change at the 11th hour. So I'll, I'll, to your point, all these pieces to some degree or, or another are uh, seemingly connected. 
Does it feel like Kawhi's camp is keeping things like really close to the vest and not really letting a lot of things get out? And it's hard to get a read because it seems like some people think that they they have a read on the situation, and some people think that man, like we just don't know. It could go any any single way, and it just seems like it's hard to get a read on Kawhi as a person sometimes because you know the way he communicates. But is that the case with his camp and this whole free agency process so far? At least from what you've seen. Yeah, I mean, not not even just his camp. I mean. You know, to be honest, I even reached out to somebody who, you know, I guess I'll describe as somebody who, who knows him well and who probably has a really good pulse on this. Um, and it's just a sensitive time of year. So it's one of those things where I reached out and, and I hadn't heard back. And this is somebody who typically I definitely would hear back from. It's like there's this kind of kawaii, you know, edict uh, to anybody and everybody who might be part of his circle of trust that you don't breach that. And obviously the inherent nature of our job is, I mean, just to be honest about it, is we're trying to get folks to share stuff that, yeah, you know, and that's that's kind of the competing, competing motives. Um, they are keeping it tight. Listen, even like the most impactful reporting so far on that front, you know, give credit to the friend and colleague uh, Chris Haynes at Yahoo Sports. You know, he had the piece saying that Kawhi was seriously considering returning to Toronto, and it was good stuff. And, and Kawhi, I mean, uh, Chris certainly has a track record of getting good intel out of Kawhi's camp. But the other part that did make me kind of chuckle is like, they just won a championship. Like it's news in the Kawhi world <laughs> that he would seriously consider re-signing with the team with which he just won the title. You know, like that's kind of all you have to know about uh, how unique his free agency situation is. But, you know, I think we'll, we'll learn more as it goes along here. There, there were signs during the playoffs that, you know, the whole Clippers idea was still alive and well and you know it's something they were actively kind of in the behind the scenes digging on to, to try to get clarity on what that might look like um, and so that's where now it's just a case of how does the championship change those optics you know where is his head at yeah and it now feels like it's set up to where whatever decision he makes that's the narrative that, that people will take well he got toronto the championship so now he's able to leave if he does leave then people will say hey, he got them the championship, didn't feel bad about leaving, and maybe he never wanted to stay in Toronto to begin with, and so they take that route. Or if you know, he decides to stay, they're like, oh, Toronto won him over. Toronto is now this city, you know, this great basketball city, and the fans won him over, and now he's going to stay. But if he takes the you know, one plus one in Toronto, then it's a different situation. We could be doing this all again next year. It's, it's, this is why free agency is fascinating. I guess I don't need to, to say that, but <laughs> the different decisions kind of determine the narrative that is taken afterwards feels like and i still think we are sleeping on as long as i've covered the league there's just so much of the most relevant activity that goes on that we are never aware of uh you know specifically the player communication i mean if you could wave a magic wand you know and on your computer screen in front of you have you know just a a flood of, of player text messages and phone calls that you know somehow reveal the communications that happen on those fronts I mean, you, you, it would be, you know, a basketball fan's dream to read through that stuff. You know, this guy calling that guy, telling him why it's a good idea to go to this place. And that stuff's really real. But because players, you know, they, they certainly have a code between them. I've even noticed, even after these moves get made, most of the time players don't want to talk about, you know, how that stuff impacted the process. You know, you see rare instances where we do learn about it, like Draymond, uh, Green, texting Kevin Durant after the 2016 finals and telling him, you know, we need you. You're the exact kind of piece we need. 
that's the kind of stuff that, you know, that really does actually lead to uh, some of these moves going down. It's if we could only hear what Kevin Durant and Kyrie were saying to each other during the all-star during all-star break in that hallway, you know, that that's the kind of stuff. That oh, for sure. Talking about. And maybe at that point right. they were both, you know, dead set on whatever, you know, Ky- if Kyrie was saying two max slots in New York, if that's what he actually was saying, then maybe that was the case then. But now th- things have just changed so much. I mean, that was from February. What was that? Like four months ago. It seems like things have changed so much that maybe, you know, some people report like, okay, Durant is dead set on the Knicks. Maybe he changed his mind since then. It's just they're, they're humans too. And so the fact that – Well, and even, I mean, along those lines, like today – sorry to cut you off there, Nick. But like they the, – you know, today's report, Stephen A. Smith of ESPN talked at length about the idea that Knicks owner James Dolan had some hesitation about giving Durant the full max because of his health and he wanted to see his medicals. Now, I don't independently know if that's accurate or, or true – but that kind of noise, you know, if you're Kevin, you're sitting there trying to get better, and maybe you are thinking, oh, I'm getting excited about the Knicks. Now it's like, well, man, forget you, Mr. Dolan. You know, <laughs> or I don't know why I said Mr. He wouldn't be calling him Mr. But, like, well, why are you, you know, like that's the kind of stuff at this stage in the process that because they are human, those thoughts cross their minds, you know, and, and who knows if there's a ripple effect. And and even to stay, you know, stick with the Knicks for a minute, and I wrote some of this in, in a piece, like I said, that's going to come out tomorrow is like, I think we got to recalibrate a little bit on the, the narrative back in uh, in late January when Porzingis got traded because all around the league, executive, executives talked about how the Knicks must know something. They must know they're getting Kevin and Kyrie. Yeah. No other explanation for moving a, a player of Porzingis' caliber. Well, now it's like it's kind of been swept under the rug that, that it was way more toxic between the Knicks and Porzingis than we knew at the time. They, like, almost independent of free agency, they had decided that this area with KP is over. we we got to hit the reset button. Um, and so now, to be honest, from a media standpoint, I look back at the way we kind of portrayed the, the picture at that point, and I think we probably missed the mark a little bit because we didn't have the entire story at that time. And, and so now if you're the Knicks, you're looking at it like, all right, well, we hope we get these guys, but if we don't, you know, we, we still know why we did what we did. Yeah, and as the host of the Locked On Mavericks, I'm very grateful that they did decide to do that. Yes. I'm very excited <laughs> to see Luca and Porzingis play basketball together. All right, let's take a quick break, and go. when we come back, I will talk to, to Sam more about his Rockets piece, what the Rockets are doing, why this whole Jimmy Butler sign-and-trade scenario came up, and if that's actually going to matter at all. All right, Sam, so you dropped a piece uh, about the Rockets on The Athletic Um Man, this whole Chris Paul situation and, and James Harden, this whole dynamic, it it kind of goes with what we were talking about, about you know the, the Kyrie and Durant scenario where they were thinking about going to New York and maybe that can change. And it seems like Chris Paul and James Harden's relationship has, has changed and different people are getting different bits of information. And at some point it seems unsalvageable. And at some point it seems Chris Paul asked for a trade. And then with your reporting, it says that he never asked for a trade and that they're, you know, they're good, but they have some differences. And what's your... What's your take from gathering all this on Chris Paul and James Harden and their relationship right now? It's funny. Um, I mean, my take is they definitely have issues and they're not necessarily running from those issues. I think they're, you know, the specific stuff that they pushed back on and in and, and our jobs, it's like you kind of reach a point where if certain people who are high profile are willing to go on record saying certain things, 
not much more we can do other than quote them and move on because we're not in the room, you know, where this stuff happens. So to that point, Rockets GM Daryl Morey, and actually more importantly, Chris Paul himself had come out and refuted, you know, the report that he had asked for a trade. Daryl has said the same thing. Um, listen, regardless of that subplot, they have had a lot of issues since the end of the year. I was there when they lost to the Warriors uh, after game six. And I, rem- I have this conversation stuck in my head where, because I'm around the Warriors a lot, and I saw Draymond in the locker room, and he's smiling. And I looked at him, and I was like, dude, like I can't ever remember seeing one team decimate like everything about another team's program in the kind of way that you guys just did. And Draymond being Draymond, obviously that made him very happy. And he, he was like, what are they going to do? You know, and we were having this discussion about what did the Rockets do? Now at the time, I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating conversation to look back on because we didn't know that Kevin Durant was going to tear his Achilles. We didn't know that Clay Thompson was going to tear his ACL. And so the, the Warriors couldn't get it over the finish line. And now because of the, the, the hope that the Rockets have because of unforeseen circumstances, it's almost like they're trying to, to get back in the room together and be like, yo, 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 hold on. I, I know I'm tired of you and you're tired of me. <laughs> And the friction is real, but we still might be able to do something together. And then you got Daryl out there continuing to work the phones and, and try to do certain things. Now the the Jimmy Butler stuff um, is definitely very real, and it's been out there for a while that they were going to try to find a way to get him. It's just ramped up recently, and the sign and trade situation is is also very real. Um, you know, potentially it would be you add a third team to get rid of some of the money on the Rockets roster. Um, you know, a team with space and they've been making those phone calls today and then essentially, you know, individually offering Clint Capella, Eric Gordon and PJ Tucker. Now, uh, you know, this is two days after PJ and I talked at the NBA awards where he was, you know, he was being pretty darn real about all the stuff that they face. And my favorite part about talking to PJ was that, you know, on the one hand, like he used, you know, if anybody didn't see the interview, he used the phrase fake news, which I, I hate for political purposes. Yes. Um, and kind of, it's just kind of a trigger for me, but, and even independent of that, like it's not the stuff that's been out there is not necessarily fake. They can, they can quibble with some of the details for sure. But, um, you know, he then went on to say that he compared, essentially compared Chris and James to Kobe and Shaq <laughs> and said, well, it's all about championships and you don't have to like each other. And, you know, on, Twitter today, you know, folks were killing him for that because you're putting them in the same sentence as Kobe and Shaq. But I understand what he's saying, which is, yes, they have, you know, kind of grinded on one another. Yes, they they were very upset after game six. But, uh, you know, they are for now trying to keep that that main core together. Now, PJ might not be part of it, but but Chris and James certainly appear to be. It seems crazy to you know fans and even some of us media on, on the outside looking in. As soon as those injuries went what, went down for the the Warriors, you know Durant and Clay Thompson, and you're like, man, as soon as the, basically as soon as the diagnosis came out, they're gonna miss a whole year. Clay Thompson may be back if they make the playoffs, but as soon as they as soon as that happened, we just we all looked at it and said the Rockets have you know a chance to go and make the Western Conference Finals and even the Finals. Like this is their best chance now. And then all of a sudden, it seems right. like they were imploding. And now it seems like they're kind of, and if, if, if this is all happening in real time, maybe this is just reporters 
gathering this intel at, at certain points, but it seems like they all kind of woke up. And like you said, they woke up to the fact that, man, like this is our chance. Like we have to put this all this stuff behind us. And just like PJ Tucker said, I love the quote. I pulled the quote. He said, if we win a championship together and we effing hate each other, then guess what? Who cares? Nobody. Right. So that's all that matters. <laughs> it's com- completely, he's completely right. It, it can, ha- it happened with Kobe right. and Shaq. Everybody only remembers, they remember how it ended, but they remember the three championships, especially Lakers fans all the time. <laughs> remember, you know, the three Pete. Um, and well, and, and then my other favorite quote from PJ was when he said, he's like, I, you know, I'm yelling at Chris and James more than Chris and James are yeah. yelling at Chris and James. <laughs> you know, it, he, he did, he did honestly pour, you know, kind of paint that picture of their locker room and the fact that, and I've heard that by the way, that like PJ is part of this. He's just not as high profile, but he's 100% the type of guy where they mix it up, like, you know, especially cause he's kind of the defensive captain and they were bad for, you know, at the, the worst possible times in the playoffs. I could see that, you know, but the other aspect of this, the kind of elephant in the room is that Chris Paul's got a, a long track record of being an extremely challenging personality in the locker room. He's just, he's a hard headed. I've got the right answer every single time type of guy. And, you know, when you're playing next to a guy who's, been in the MVP discussion for five years, that's not always going to work. Does Do you feel like this all has to end with Chris Paul, you know, laying back a little bit and maybe ceding some of that, you know, control to James Harden, like we saw in a, in a smaller way, maybe like we saw Kyle Lowry do, or like, we see, like we've seen Dwayne Wade do in the past to LeBron. They were, you know, amicable and they, you know, liked each other, LeBron and Wade did, but is, is this going to, if, are the Rockets' title hopes dependent on Chris Paul finally just saying, okay, I'm going to step aside and let somebody else do what they do best? Well, the thing is, he I mean, he did that. He did that all last year. you know. And, and really, even when he came to Houston two summers ago, the part that, that I always found confusing was that you know, the Rockets' narrative at the time was that when James struggled so badly against San Antonio in the playoffs, you know, I guess uh, three playoffs ago that it was a matter of him, you know, running into a wall, having too much on his plate and and needing to, you know, get some help. Except that when Chris came to town, Chris's usage rate, I'm sorry, James's usage rate in the two years with Chris is even higher than it was, you know, before Chris got there. So the way they are structured, I get the strong sense that Chris is tired of, you know, just the extremes to which they take this offense. James with the ball, everybody else, you know, playing a bit role and waiting to see what he does. And I think honestly, the Jimmy Butler pursuit is more evidence that somebody like Daryl Morey knows that you just got to get another high profile talent in the room. Eric Gordon's a very good player, but he's just not necessarily on the same level when he's also personality wise, not the kind of guy that's going to challenge folks in the room. Now the Jimmy thing, like media wise, Hey, we'd love it because that would be, something to monitor that would be incredibly interesting because it would either work or be a complete disaster. But, you know, I do think that Daryl is, is trying to, uh, to get a, a new iteration of the Rockets here. Yeah. Let's take another break. And when we come back, let's discuss that Jimmy Butler situation, if that would even help and maybe how realistic that could even be. All right, Sam. So the, the news now on the Rockets is that they're trying to acquire Jimmy Butler. Like you said, they're trying to move all these different pieces around. That just seems like if their situation was, you know, Chris Paul and James maybe having these disagreements, bringing a guy in like Jimmy Butler is not necessarily the guy to come in and calm the storm, right? I mean, are we missing anything on this that 
Jimmy Butler has now gone I don't know. through. Maybe they. He's gone through Minnesota and Chicago, and man, <laughs> that yeah. always stops. Yeah. Well, and, and Philly got off to a little bit of a tough start with he and Brett Brown, and, and seemed to settle at the end. Um, you know, and I wouldn't totally rule Philly. Uh, you know, rule out the idea of Jimmy re-signing in Philly. Although right now it feels like that's not very likely. But it, it is. You know, I was kind of jokingly going to say, you know, maybe the Rockets are just going to lean into this kind of this friction type environment, this personality they have collectively that is just, you know, it's it's like PJ Tucker said that it might not be the healthiest, but if it works, it works. So I don't know. Um, you've got the the hometown connection, which certainly at different times comes into play for free agents. You know, Jimmy grew up right outside of Houston and Tomball, Texas. And I know that Tillman Fertitta, the Rockets owner, that's not lost on him. I mean, he loves Jimmy as a player first and foremost. But in terms of just, you know, Tillman's fabric and his wiring, I think he would be very excited to bring a, a Texan back to the uh, the local NBA team. And from there, it, it's also – you talk about something to monitor. The, the Rockets for the longest time, and Daryl in particular, have been accused of not kind of having the ability to – to to, uh, to to deal with the human component of building a roster. Early on, anyway, the accusation towards Daryl was that, you know, he would see players as kind of chess pawns and pieces as opposed to, you know, people and players. And I think over time, that part's improved. Players swear by him that are, you know, part of their program. But with the Jimmy thing, it speaks to the fact that, that you know, I think there's still that part of Daryl just that flat out says there's only so many top-tier players in the league and I don't really care what the personalities are. If I can get enough of them in the room, then we should be able to, to have a, a certain percentage chance at winning the title. And I think if I had to guess, that's uh, partly where it's headed at. That. And maybe he, he also thinks that it has to turn into a three-headed monster instead of just two. Like the two can go at each other, but yeah. if there's three, then all of a sudden it, you know, it's a triangle, and triangles are stronger than you know two points, and they can – you know. Two of them maybe can gang up on one and win, right? <laughs> right, and then, then you have an right. overwhelming. And then you hire majority. Phil Jackson and you do the triangle offense, and then you're <laughs> and you're set. <laughs> hey, Mike D'Antoni has only one with, more uh, year, right? <laughs> yeah, and that's the other thing. I man, I Nick, I was trying to write this story yesterday, and I was laughing because I'm trying to make sure that all the necessary context was in there. But there's so many subplots with the Rockets that I was exhausted trying to figure out. Like, okay, I mentioned. You know, this report, I mentioned that report. Oh, I forgot to mention that Mike D'Antoni, you know, has been in contract negotiations with them for six weeks and we thought it was done and it's not done. He's got one year left and it's super awkward. You know, the, the coaching stuff is a whole different layer. Oh, and I forgot to mention that, you know, they, they got rid of a bunch of assistant coaches. You know, it's just, it's been incredible since the end of the year. But yes, to your point, I, I think the three headed monster approach is something that they would be more than happy to. To, to try, um, you know, we'll see if it that they insist that it would not necessarily cost them, you know, like Clint uh, Capella and Eric Gordon, both um, and, and PJ maybe is one of those pieces. So, you know, I don't know how that looks in the end, but I do think that, you know, it's uh, it's something that to your point about personality, you get Jimmy in the room, it maybe kind of helps with the Chris component where it's not just Chris and James and, and PJ on the side all the time. Does this only happen, this sign and trade of Jimmy Butler? Does it only happen if Jimmy Butler demands a trade? Because he's a, he's unrestricted, so they don't you know they don't have to, to sign him anywhere, but he would have to just demand a trade to Houston, right? Or is there another way that maybe they could coax Philly? Yeah, I mean he, it's he 
he can just treat he can essentially treat Houston like a free agency destination and and then it's on Philly to decide if they want to cooperate. Now, my early like by no means is this hard and firm because we still got time here, but my early indications on from the Philly side are that they would be very interested in playing ball because they they don't want to lose him for nothing. Now, that's not to say that they've already given up on him by any means in terms of coming back, but you know, that's kind of the way it's being framed to me that they would listen. And uh, I mean, that, that's kind of, you know, it's, if you take all the feelings out of it, you know, it makes sense, right? It's a little bit like with the Warriors and some of these uh, scenarios that have been talked about in, in signing Kevin Durant to a five-year deal and then eventually trading him to another team. You don't want to lose a guy of Kevin's caliber for nothing. You don't want to lose a guy of Jimmy's caliber for nothing. And, and when the Sixers did that deal, and they gave up Covington and Sarge in a second and, you know, guys like that, they, they, you know, if you go back and read the reporting at the time, they made the trade with the full expectation that Jimmy would be there next season. And so if that's not in fact going to be the case, you know, I think they're going to at least try to, to muster something out of it. That goes back to what we said at the beginning. Anything can change in, you know, four or five, six months. <laughs> you never know. Right. Man. Uh, let's, uh, let's, Change gears a little bit as we end here. Um, the New York Daily News was not allowed to go into R.J. Barrett's press conference. Uh, the Knicks did not allow them to go in there because of some, you know, reporting or stories or the way that they were covering. They didn't like. They thought it was inflammatory, things like that. Uh, you're part of the the Professional Basketball Writers Association, uh, or the PBW. What is your your take on how this was handled? And the league actually took action, fined you know the Knicks for this. Um, what was your take from the PBW standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's. It, I'm. I'm glad um, that the league acted. Uh, they have in the past let quite a bit go when it comes to different ways in which teams and certainly the Knicks had broken rules. And and it's you know it's like anything else. They pick and choose their spots. But on this one, the league stance was that it was just black and white that the Knicks broke a rule, and, and specifically. The availability like this, it's a very conventional media availability, you know, a draft pick being introduced to the media. Any credentialed member of the media should be allowed to go. Now, in the past, when they did this type of stuff with the Daily News, uh, one in particular, one time in particular, it was a conference call in which, you know, there's a little bit of a gray area there where there are times when teams are permitted to select like a, a certain group of reporters to invite to a conference call and go that route. But this was just more blatant, more egregious. And so the league acted, you know, and we put out a statement from the PBWA and, uh, you know, our president, Josh Robbins, who does a great job and then in communication with the league, you know, and I'm, I'm just kind of part of the support group. One of the VPs with Steve Bullpett out in Boston and, and Keith Pompey in Philly and uh, Casey Johnson down in Chicago. And, and again, I, I, you know, and I can only speak for myself, not for the body necessarily, but, I just I do applaud the league. I think that Adam Silver stepped up, sent a message to the Knicks that you know we're not going to have this type of you know in, in my perspective being an authoritarian type approach where because you don't like the headlines you just start picking willy nilly who can come and who can't come because I mean the bottom line is I know the Daily News has been tough on them at different times but it's largely with good reason you know you've got the the franchise that has been struggling for so long now. You know, this stuff's not that complicated. If you go put a good team together and win games and make the fans happy, it reaches a point where the coverage, you know, even for the 
the, the saltiest of sports writers, the coverage has got to turn positive. And that's not to indicate at all that, that that's kind of, you know, the, the daily news is part of that sentence, but um, I'm happy they did it. I mean, we, uh, you know, we try to have a good relationship with the teams, with the players, with the league. And, uh, and this was a positive in my opinion. So they, they were not allowed to be in the, the press conference for what you deemed as an, an unjust reason, but there are just reasons like the Knicks could not allow the New York daily news to come in and, and cover the team. If they violated their, their side of things, right. There are ways that they can not allow them in if they oh, sure, break yeah. certain things. Cause that's, it sort of feels like if you don't understand how, you know, credentialing and media all works, you say, man, so they have to just allow anybody, you know, with, and sometimes some teams, it does no, feel I mean, like they just like, allow anybody. It's a very, right. I mean, it's a very conventional media outlet. So you have a long history of the New York daily news having, and listen, like, like every paper out there, certainly circulation dwindles and, and business is tough for everybody these days, but it's a conventional media outlet, um, you know, that, that has, again, the track record of, having been credentialed for a long, long time and is still currently credentialed. And that's part of it to your point. Yeah. There's, there's blog sites that might not have the history um, or the track record or the audience to warrant a credential teams don't, you know, they don't have to credential any person who crosses their path, but you have a long uh, relationship between the daily news and the Knicks. And, and this was clearly based on the tenor of coverage. And I did not love the Knicks statement uh, that they put out where they indicated that it was a misunderstanding. I mean, James Dolan is on record as having said, you know, uh, in radio interviews in the past that the reason behind what he had done was because of, you know, the, the way that he thinks the team has been covered. So, and we've seen, I mean, we've seen Dolan's kind of true stripes even recently, that video that came out where he went after the fan at the garden, you know, who's told him to sell the team and he was trying to basically ban the fan from the garden. I mean, it's, He's, he's kind of running the, the joint in that kind of fashion. And at some point, the league has to realize that that reflects poorly on the body, not just the Knicks. It makes one wonder what Kevin Durant sees in them. It's like one of your friends dating a girl, and you're like, man, I just I don't get it. Like, I, don't, I just don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> in a, in well, a and it's hard. I, I have sympathy for one guy in particular because I think he's doing a good job. Scott Perry, the GM of the Knicks, you know, you come in with a fresh outlook with a, a long resume that's, you know, a lot of respect and accomplishment attached to it. And by all accounts, the, the way they function in terms of his part in it has been much better than the previous regime. And, you know, that stuff I do think has Kevin's attention. Uh, Mark Spears had a good piece on the undefeated recently and, you know, where he kind of chronicled and detailed how the Knicks have far and away the most diverse front office in the NBA, you know, largely African-American executives in, in today's league, like that's, you know, A, these are all accomplished guys who deserve to be there. B, for someone like Kevin, you know, who I think is certainly a bigger than basketball type of guy, I think that gets his attention. And then, like you said, Nick, then you, but then you look up to the guy who runs the whole thing and you can't erase that. You know, you've got a very different track record and a very different reputation, and he still owns the team. So, yes, I would love to uh, somehow convince Kevin to go have a couple beers and start telling me the truth about how he sees the Knicks. You know, <laughs> that's that's a conversation that would be very fascinating. I just I'm not sure we're ever gonna hear that raw perspective. 
Well, hopefully, if, if he does sign, then uh, he'll do another Bill Simmons podcast, or he'll come on the Locked On podcast, or he'll do something like or come on tampering, or do something like that. <laughs> and come there you on go. And there you all. go. But Sam, uh, anything else that you want to plug your story coming out today? Uh, anything else you got working for the Athletic? No, I'm good, sir. I appreciate it. I mean, like always, a bunch of great stuff on our site. Um, Sean Sharania had a, a notebook today breaking down different tidbits. Uh, I think I might have already mentioned. Anthony Slater had a a great breakdown of the Durant situation and the specific reality that, you know, that fifth year and his ability to earn $50 million at 35 years old. And the fifth year of that contract is at the hell of a carrot for the Warriors to to hold out there. So, I mean, these next couple of weeks are going to be crazy and uh, you know, we'll see where it all goes. Absolutely. Sam, thank you so much guys. Thank you so much for listening to lockdown NBA. I'm Nick Angstead. You can follow me at, uh, Nick Van Exit. You can follow Locked On Mavs at Locked On Mavs, and you can subscribe and listen. Isaac and I do five shows a week talking about the Dallas Mavs. It's an awesome time. Doncic, Porzingis, Max Cap Space, come join us over there, guys. Thanks so much. 